0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the line, we got my man, Dr. Charles Bell, who is the author of the book, Suspended, Punishment, Violence, and the Failure of School Safety. Brother Bell, how are you today? He's doing great. I'm glad to be here. All right, happy to have you on the show. First off, let's talk about the title of the book. Very controversial title. So, Suspended, Punishment, Violence, and the Failure of School Safety. Give us more insight about what's going on and what's being talked about in this book.
1: So... I wanted to talk about school suspensions from the perspective of those who are being impacted by these issues. So I wanted to go to the community. I went back home to Detroit and interviewed 110 black students and parents in the Detroit Southfield, Farmington Hills, throughout Metro Detroit. Uh, and just ask some questions about school suspensions and how, how they impacted their lives. How did it impact your grades, your parents' job? You know, it's a lot of times these suspensions, they occur, you know, at 11 in the morning. Your parents are at work, so a lot of times parents have to leave work. And a lot of parents say they lost their jobs because of these school suspensions. Um, how does it impact uh, your perceptions of feeling safe in school? Metal detectors, guards, and law enforcement officers in your school, do you even feel safe? Is this a is school a really a true learning environment for a lot of our black students? So I wanted to give them the opportunity to speak because a lot of times our voices are just not heard.
0: Okay, so I want to go over some facts. Look them up on, on your site as well, DrCharlesBell.com. Thirty eight percent of the students who receive at least one out of school suspension are black. It's also saying black kids are six times as likely to be suspended than white girls and four times more likely to receive an out of school suspension than white boys. So I'll go ahead and ask the difficult question. So we're critiquing the suspension. So for that kid that is misbehaving, what's the proper punishment if suspension seems to be counterproductive?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. I get this question a lot from teachers. So all the research on school suspensions or even child development says that when a child is acting out in school, the first thing that we should do is we should ask that child what's going on at home. Because a lot of times our children are navigating trauma. And when you really think about this, if, I, if I'm a child and I'm experiencing something that happened in my community or in, at home, I'm really going through something, where can I speak about this publicly? We we don't have any sort of outlets for children where they can actually speak and let their voices be heard. So a lot of times they hold that trauma in and then it manifests in their behavior. So the first thing is that we need to talk to our children, ask these students what is going on in their lives, give them the opportunity to talk. And I think the second thing, and I think this is what makes Suspended really unique, is that I actually talked about how teachers in poor areas really can't do this because they are in schools where they have 40 students in a classroom Uh and research shows that you should have no more than 15 to 20 students in a classroom. So when you're in an environment where you have twice as many students in the classroom, that is a form of violence. you know. And I kind of talk about this uh, word violence that I put in the title. And when we think about violence, we think about gun violence and interpersonal violence, but I actually talk about violence from a political and structural component. Because when we think about somebody who robs you of something, they use a gun, they're using uh, some sort of force. Correct. But we don't think about politics as a form of force. Uh, I can write a policy and remove resources from your school. You know, a lot of us have attended schools. They didn't have books. They didn't have clean water. And Uh those books, they don't disappear on their own. Policy steals those books. Policy puts twice as many students in a classroom that should be there. And this happens almost exclusively in poor inner city schools. So it's, it's an attack. It's violent.
0: Okay, and that's also a very interesting fact that you brought up there. I want to bring this up as well, because to add insult to injury, Time magazine reported that nearly half of black teachers reported in 2021 that they were likely to leave their job at the end of this school year compared to only 23 percent of teachers of other races. So we already have a small amount of black teachers in these schools. In fact, Time is also reporting that only 7 percent of teachers in the U.S. identify as black. So if half of those teachers are leaving and we already don't have enough black teachers in the school because of interest or policy, how do we rectify this issue?
1: It's a great, great question. And I think we need to listen to our teachers. So in chapter three, I talk about teacher victimization and I talk about the ways in which teachers have been harmed, attacked, threatened and how their jobs are difficult for them. So I think that instead of just talking to students and parents, which is so important, we also need to talk to teachers because their voices need to be heard, particularly our v- most vulnerable teachers, our teachers that are in inner city schools and are struggling. Uh, and we learn so much. You know, I learned so much just from talking to them.
0: Hey, let's talk about these inner city schools because my daughter, she's about to start school very soon. So I'm going through the issue that a lot of black parents go through with finding a school in the inner city. So I'm HBCU educated. So I understand the importance of having people who look like you in your classroom. You know, one of the benefits that I always say we didn't have those microaggressions during our group projects. You know, I didn't have little slight comments from other individuals who attended the school who think I only got in because of affirmative action as if I can't Mm -hmm. score high on my SAT score. So I get the benefits of that. What I want to talk about regarding those schools, because you mentioned the suspension They're they're harmful. It creates this school to prison pipeline. Is that correct? Yes. So with all of that being said, with all these issues going on with our school, you you you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because if in my case, for example, when when I'm looking for schools now, I'm looking at schools and okay, I like this school. There are a lot of people who look like her. The principal may be black, assistant principal may be black. Okay, they'll be able to relate. But then I look at the resources. Not a lot of resources. I can easily put my daughter in a school out in the suburbs where they have after school programs and they have buses that will bus my daughter to and fro. But then those are the schools that are getting shot up as well as the schools that play into the analytics that you have here with them not actually being able to relate. So what do you do as a parent, as a black parent specifically who wants the best for their child, but you're left to choose between either if you're around individuals that look like My daughter, unfortunately, a lot of those schools aren't up to par as far as the resources and the whole nine yards. But then I can put the child in the suburbs, but not have to worry about, you know, the subtle comments, school getting shot up and other things. What do parents do that want their child to have that black experience at a young age and not wait to college?
1: And that's a great question. It is the dilemma that parents echo throughout my entire book, um, even as I interviewed them about suspension. So the book is actually three different projects. And I, when I interviewed students in the Detroit area and Southfield area, I thought the book was done. And those parents, they had left Detroit and Southfield. They were doing exactly what you were thinking about: is they were going to Southfield, they were going, they were going to Farmington Hills, Warren, and looking for a, a safe space in a suburban area, only to find that their children were suspended at even higher rates when they went to uh, the suburban primarily white high schools. So then they they're throwing their hands up because they don't know what to do and what sort of educational environment is safe for their child. So I think we all deal with this. We all navigate this in our own way. And I think that one sort of approach is that deal with the situation that you know best and that you're comfortable with best. If you know that you're sending your child to an environment that doesn't have a lot of resources then after your child gets out of school you as a parent can compensate for those lack of resources either through other programs that are available in the detroit area and on set was huge in the detroit area the local libraries provide an extra books and reading math tutoring On your own or developing partnerships with other parents who are dealing with doing the same things i think that there's a lot of resources that sometimes we don't tap into in our local communities and i think that we can compensate for some of the things that our children may not get at the local public schools. You know, we are our child's first teacher in educating our children, even though our schools are there and they're using our tax dollars. It is our job to make sure this is done. And we know as people who are of African-American descent and have an understanding of this system, we know that The public school system in this country would never teach our children everything they need to know, especially about their own blackness. So it is up on us to educate our children about what it means to be black in America. And part of that is to understand that the schools that were built for you will not give you all the resources you need.
0: Yeah, And that was a major concern of a lot of black teachers. You mentioned teaching black kids about our own history. They're calling it critical race theory now and a mm-hmm. lot of people are against it. So now you face that backlash when you try to educate, like my, my daughter only plays with black dolls for representation purposes and things of that nature. So when I want to continue what I've been instilling in my daughter, it's like I, I risk losing that if I want resources for her to flourish or if I'm not able to pick up after school and things of that nature. So I wanna move on to the next question as well, which is another issue. Why aren't black people interested in teaching specifically black men now like two weeks ago i'm riding through richmond virginia visiting family and i hear on the radio they got commercials they're like hey if you're a black male come on into richmond public schools we need you right now so i spent a, a, a few years working at a public school as as a middle school security guard so i have experience as well where younger teachers younger white teachers that couldn't relate to a black child they would come and get me and say hey i can't get across to the kid i don't know what's going on can you get across to the kid Now, here I am. I'm just a security guard. I make probably half as much as the teachers make, and they don't make a lot. But I can come in a classroom and I can get across to the student. The student opens up to me and I'm able to get the child back on track. And I'm saying and I'm looking left and right. I'm like, we need more black teachers in the school. How do we get more black teachers even interested in the profession?
1: Another great question. And I think that there is a multitude of problems that are preventing black people in general and black men specifically from ancient and teaching profession. Um, number one, first and foremost is, that you have to matriculate through the education system successfully and earn a bachelor's degree to even become a teacher. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't forget that black men specifically have the highest rates of incarceration, suicide, school suspensions, unemployment. We are overrepresented in sort of every negative outcome in society because we've been systematically denied access to the resources that we need to be successful in mass. And those of us who are fortunate enough to navigate, and survive this very, very racist system, um, we often have many expectations and the full weight of our own community on us. We often have to support our families and even um, our parents and and grandparents. So it's difficult to make the decision to choose a profession where you're not properly compensated. As I talked to many teachers who, in my study, we're saying that they already didn't make enough money and they were paying for essential resources out of their own pockets. They're buying books, they're buying pens and papers for the students because they know when they come in they won't have resources uh, because the school won't provide them. So again, that's sort of violence is sort of stealing money out of the teachers' pockets. Mm-hmm. You're paying teachers. You're you're undervaluing and underpaying teachers. That's a that's a form of violence in itself. But then the little money that they have that should go to their own families, you you're taking that too because they know that their students need resources and the school won't provide them.
0: Very interesting information there. So let me talk about the book. How is a book like this that is seems to go against the grain? Of what goes on in education, how is your book being received by schools around the country?
1: I think it's being received very well by Black students and parents who understand the system, uh, and and would like to see their voices and represented in the sort of uh, literature. I think a lot of parents have been frustrated and they've been told that it's your child. It's you. You're the only you're the problem. And when they pick up a book and there's one hundred and ten voices who are very similar to yours and you see yourself represented in the book, it's like, aha, it's not me. It's a system. So it's very well received there. You also have a subset of teachers and policymakers and advocates who are interested in this issue and may perhaps be white. And they would like to learn about it. And now they're reading the book, mm-hmm. and they can understand the system and see it in, in sort of a full view and a full perspective of the system. But you also have, a, I'm sure, a subset of uh, people who are reading the book. And I've had several people told me they put it down because it was just too much for them to read. It was too difficult for them to read. And they couldn't handle the sort of truth that was being represented in the text and i've challenged those readers because if it's difficult for you to read imagine how much more difficult it is for black students to and parents to live through it correct and to navigate it the criminalization that you're uh-huh. that they're experiencing because of their hair there's their style of dress um navigating uh poor public transit system. You, you, a lot of these kids, they told me that they're getting up, they're getting dressed in the only clothes they have. They're catching the bus, sometimes two or three buses to get to school only to be suspended because they're out of dress code, which is, you know, why should dress code matter if I'm here to learn? Yeah. They're being suspended because their hair is a certain way. Why does my hair matter if I'm here to learn? Correct. I'm going through um, traumatic situations to get to school because I know I have to be here in order to navigate and escape my environment or to even improve my environment if I choose to stay. And then you're sending me back home, which is essentially trapping me in poverty and dooming me to the school to prison pipeline.
0: All makes sense. Definitely appreciate that information. Again, Dr. Charles Bell, you can check out more information on his website, drcharlesbell.com. He's the author of the book, Suspended punishment violence and the failure of school safety this is a study that reveals how school suspensions and unfair grading practices target inner city black children and set them up to fail later on in life before we disconnect let me go ahead and ask you the million dollar question that everybody's talking about right now arming teachers in the classroom good idea or no and why very bad idea
1: very bad idea for a number of reasons because if we have teachers that are suspending students and in, in parts of the country you still have corporal punishment where students are being paddled and beaten in in the southern parts of the uh, country uh, a teacher with a gun is a very dangerous situation and if even in my study in chapter 3 i talk about teachers who are bringing guns to school there. oh wow much Earlier than policies have approved this practice, teachers are going against the policy that said that schools are gun-free zones and you can't bring a gun in the school. They're still bringing them in. And it raises some very important questions. Most and foremost, how does a teacher get a gun into the school past the metal detectors and the guards? Mm -hmm. That's a really important question. Um, But I think that if students are telling me, and they are, that I don't feel safe, with metal detectors, guards, this increased criminalization. How is a child supposed to establish a relationship with a teacher who was
0: harmed? Oh, makes sense. Definitely appreciate your take on that topic. Any closing remarks that you want to make before we go ahead and disconnect, Brother Bell? I think it's just
1: so important that we listen to our students and listen to our children. And at some point, we have to create a social space for them to speak. Far too often we see too many children internalizing things that are going on around them, and they don't understand it. They don't understand why their school doesn't have the resources and across the road those kids have it all. They don't understand why things are the way they are, and sometimes things may happen right in front of them that they can't process. They need an outlet in which they can speak. I did this in Detroit. I actually created a panel engagement where I put students and policymakers and judicial officials on the panel and I told the judicial officials, policymakers to be quiet and let the students speak. And I would love to see this model sort of replicated throughout the country, because when we let the students speak, we learn so much from them
0: all valuable info definitely thank you for checking in on the djs and daughters podcast friend of the show charles bell we will be checking in with you periodically to just have conversations and just have this back and forth and just give this game and have this open dialogue to whether you're a dj with a daughter or just uh, a mother with a son or just a parent this is all valuable information that we just want to share with you all dr bell thank you for checking in thank you all right you have a good one you should